Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm excited to discuss a, a lot of ideas today. Um, that Ideas that are going to take us, by the way, from the Garden of Eden to, to, to Yom Kippur and beyond. Um, before we do that, though... I want to tell you just something uh, very, very beautiful that I once heard. I, I heard it for the first time from uh, Mrs. Shira Smiles, uh, a beautiful uh, parable, uh, if you will, likening this world to a tapestry. And uh, I'm sure you've all seen tapestries before. They're on the off chance that you haven't. They're they're like pretty large, like wall-sized um, uh portraits, you know, and they depict different, different things, different beautiful things, but they're, they're created. It's like needlepoint. It's, they're created by just thousands and thousands and thousands of stitches. But when you look at it, it just makes one beautiful, coherent design and there it is. And, um, but here's the question. Have you ever seen the other side of a tapestry? And, and the other side of a tapestry, in case you haven't, is just chaos it's all of these threads and they hang down and they're tangled. And when you're looking at the other side of the tapestry, there is no way you can recognize this beautiful picture, which is just on the other side of that piece of fabric. And so the idea is that our life in this world is like the, the chaotic side of the tapestry. In other words, we can't see the full picture that is actually there. All we see is like all of the work in progress, if you will, aspects of it. And, and the idea is that, that when, when the world reaches, evolves to its time of perfection, we're going to be able to see in our own lives that every stitch, every moment in our life, every difficulty, every, every challenge was exactly in the right place at the right time for the proper amount of time. And so just like the stitches on the front side of the tapestry are incredibly exact, but it's not revealed to us, it will become revealed to us exactly how everything was just perfect, perfect, perfect all along. Um, so I came across what I think is a really um, nice illustration of that. You, you can illustrate that idea tens of thousands of ways, by the way. But I, I came across, it's, a, it's a, Rashi brings it actually, from Yes Khanam, this uh, past week's Parsha, um, drawing from, from the Gomorrah actually in, in Sanhedrin uh, 38a, if you want to look it up. And it's, it's just one of these great examples showing you just, just how divine the Torah is really, just how every single word is so exact and so precise and also just the way God works in this world, how sometimes we think that, um, you know, strict justice is being given over to us. But in, in reality, it's, it's a great act of kindness. Um, so without further ado, uh, I, will, I will read you the, 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 the verse and you'll, you'll see something really, I think, amazing, amazing. So if you wanted to look it up, it's... Uh, Verse, uh, rather, chapter 4, verse 25 in, in, in Sefer um, Devarim, also known as Deuteronomy. I don't know what Deuteronomy means, but 
anyway, uh, so here's the verse. It, it says basically, I'm just going to paraphrase it. it. It says that when, when you have, it's talking about when the Jews are in the land of Israel. Okay, remember, we're still in the desert. We haven't gotten into Israel yet, but we're about to get into Israel. So Moshe is, is prophesizing. He, prophesying. He's, he's telling us what the future is going to be. And he says that, you know, you're going to get into the land and you're going to have children and you're going to have great-grandchildren. And, and at a certain point, you're going to start to do idol worship. And when you do idol worship, if you do idol worship, but he's pretty much saying it's going to happen, uh, which it did happen, by the way, another prophecy that was fulfilled in the Torah. Uh, Moshe says that, that after dwelling long in the land, you are going to be kicked out of the land and utterly destroyed. So, wow. So that's, that, that's, that's heavy. Starts off with a positive. You're going to live in the land for a long time. But, but when the verse says you're going to live in a, the land a long time, it, it seems like there's a redundancy in the phrasing of the, of the Torah. So let's look at this word, long in the land, okay? That's going to be a key to something very spectacular. So in Hebrew, it's vishonantam. That's how you say it in Hebrew. That's, that's the, the, the word in question. What is the numerical equivalent of this extra word? And the answer is 852. Now, what's fascinating about that is that the Jews were in the land of Israel from the time that we entered with Yehoshua, which is the first time that we entered Israel after leaving Egypt, till the time that we were exiled after the destruction of the first holy temple. Do you know how long we were in the land for? 850 years. Now, the gematria of this you will be long in the land, which seems extra in the verse, is 852. The Gomorrah explains, look at how good God is. Look at how good God is. If God kept us in exactly that amount, 852 years, then we would have been long in the land, and then the second part of the verse would also be fulfilled, which is, you will be utterly destroyed. And so God ensured that the first part of the verse wasn't completely fulfilled so that we wouldn't be subject to the second part of the verse, which is that you will be utterly destroyed. And so even though then we get kicked out of the land two years early, which seems like we experience it like the reverse side of the tapestry. We, we, we experience it like it's this tangle and it doesn't make any sense and it's ah. And all the things in our life where it just didn't go exactly right and we feel like ah. Meanwhile, God is getting us out of the land earlier in order to save us. An amazing, an amazing chesed, an amazing kindness. So, so I love that. I love that because it's, it's yet another example of, of how every single word in the Torah is so incredibly precise. And you really see just, it's another example of what, what that God wrote the Torah. I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how else to say it. Um, a human being cannot do that, right? Now, why, and I saw this question 
a footnote in, in the Arts Roll Gomorrah, which I thought was amazing. Why not, if God's so good and God's so kind, why not keep us in the land for 851 years, right? In other words, he kicked us out two years early, okay? The Trubus Edition says that according to the rules of Gematria, if you're one off, that's the same as the number. So had it been 851 years, ima kolel, that's the same as 852 years and we still would have been subject to the punishment. So God took us up just to the point where even with all the variations of gematria, we were protected. So again, just, uh, just, an, just awesome. All right, now, I, I do want to discuss this amazing topic. Uh, I want to take you from the Garden of Eden to Yom Kippur and beyond. But before I do that, I want to just um, just let you know where we are in the calendar. You know, the, the calendar is such an awesome guide to our souls. It's sort of like the just it gives us so much direction and it tells us what we should be doing and, and, and everything like that. It's, it's, it's great. So, so we always have to know where we are in terms of the year because that's where our soul is and that's, it's, it's giving us, you know, our, our marching orders, you know, in the best way. So everybody knows that before, um, you know, when Yom Kippur comes, like a new light is coming into the world. And, and this new light, a, a whole new universe is being created. And on, on a level, it's happening every single moment. But really, in terms of the, the fullness of the idea of that, of creation and recreation on an ongoing basis, the headquarters of that, the, the, the capital of when that happens, if you will, is on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, and then it gets sealed on Yom Kippur. All right. And then you even have a couple of times afterwards, even Hoshana Rabbah, you have moments where you can still adjust the final decree. But really, we should try to get it right on Rosh Hashanah, should try to get it right certainly by Yom Kippur. Okay. So when does that period of preparation for our souls, for the new year that's coming down, when does that start? That's the question. So... You know, classically, we say that it begins Chodesh Elul, in the month of Elul, which is one month beforehand. So that's good. That's good. And it's true. And that's when Moshe Rabbeinu, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to get the second Luchos, the second tablets, was on the first day of Elul. So that's really like the second chance, like we're just coming back and we're improving from all of our failings, and we're rededicating ourselves. So that's the first day of the month of Elul. And there's certainly tons that can be said about that, and in the future we'll be talking about it more. However, however, when does the period for really starting for the new year begin? And the answer is on Tuba'av. That's, that's the official kickoff day, okay? So that, that happened on Shabbos. We're already now at the beginning of the time period when we can really be directing ourselves toward Rosh Hashanah, toward Yom Kippur. And I'll tell you a phenomenal gematria, we're doing gematrias today, right? Uh, a, a phenomenal gematria. This is from the Bnei Yisachar, the Din of Rebbe, one of the great Hasidic masters. And he says that if you take 
the the word for the fifteenth of Av. Usually we call it Tuba Av, um, but Tuba Av means the fifteenth of Av. Okay, um, which is in Hebrew would be Chamisha Asar Ba'av. That's how you say the fifteenth of Av. So the Gematria, and we're saying on Tuba Av, the fifteenth of Av is when the kickoff for Rosh Hashanah really starts. So the B'nai Sasker sees a great, just this great little hint um, how we can see that. You ready for this? So the gematria for the 15th of Av, Chamisha Asr Ba'av, is the same gematria as Kativa V'chasima Tova, which is that you should be written and inscribed in the Book of Life. Isn't that great? <laughs> so you see that it's starting right, right at Tuba Av. And, and, and that's the period we're in right now. So, so without further ado, now's the best time to, to be thinking about it. Because, you see, there's, there's an emotional aspect to it. And, and I'll tell you what it is. I, I heard that this happens, but I actually experienced it. And and I think I only experienced it once is the truth. But, you know, if you ever experience it, you don't forget it. And it was with my first child when he was young. And I don't know how old he was, maybe two years old, maybe three years old. He was young. And he did something that I chastised him about. I don't remember what it was. It was certainly nothing major. But, you know, I raised my voice or something like that. And instead of turning around to run away, he turned around to run toward me. And he ran toward me and hugged me because he understood that he had done something wrong and all he wanted to do was to be close to his father at that moment. And, you know, it says, it says God only speaks to children. How do we know God only speaks to children? Because if you look in the Torah, what does it say over and over again? And God said to the children of Israel, (laughs) over and over again. In other words, we're all in the category of children, but we have to be we ha- there's certain things that qualities that children have that are just so precious and 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 one of the things that just happens with with us as we get older and more jaded and sort of give up on certain things right is that if we fail as, feel as though we failed in some way we just want to run away faster and the brokenness alienates us further. But you know something? That's actually, believe it or not, an acquired trait. In, in the pureness and the simplicity of our souls, if we ever do something that we feel is off, Really, what our soul is saying is, fix it, run back, run back, run back, run back, run back to the source, embrace the source. 
right? Because we know God is the one who loves us the, mo- the most. He's not the one who's just ordering us around. If we think that God's the one who's ordering us around, then we can't get further enough away. If we know that God's the one who love us, loves us the most, then we can't run to him fast enough. And so that's the greatness of this idea of beginning the preparations for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur right now in Av, is, is that we know that if now, is, now, if the gates are open now, right? If the gematria of the word, the 15th of Av, is the same as you should be inscribed in the book of life, right? If we know that the gates are open, if we're really connected, if we're really kind of at that beautiful place of simplicity and purity, then we're already running. We're already running. And now, let me let me ask you this. Do you know, I think my son felt better when he was hugging me, but do you know how I felt? Oh my goodness, I'm still talking about it. <laughs> how, how many years later is it? 25 years later, I'm still talking about it. And I can still picture myself. It was in the kitchen by the sink. <laughs> I, can, I can still picture it. So if that's true for us, how much pleasure does it give God, right? Okay. So that's where we are in the year. And now, let's talk about from the Garden of Eden to Yom Kippur and beyond. Okay? So, so there are a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions. And, and let, let me just begin by telling you what Yom Kippur is. So, you could probably tell me what Yom Kippur is, but if all of you took a turn and told me what Yom Kippur was, there's an excellent chance no one would tell me the following, which is actually why Yom Kippur is Yom Kippur. Okay, you ready for this? Yom Kippur is Yom Kippur because an event happened that day. And that event is Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses came down from Mount Sinai the second time with the second set of tablets. Remember, the first set of tablets were smashed because of the sin of the golden calf. Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Mount Sinai the second time with the second tablets, which said the exact same thing as the first tablets, by the way, on Yom Kippur. And that's why Yom Kippur is Yom Kippur. Because it's the day that we finally received the Torah. Okay? So we're going to do a whole discussion, and it's going to take us throughout Jewish history. But what I would like you to be mindful as we, as we explore this topic is to be mindful of the distinction between giving the Torah and receiving the Torah. The Torah was given on Shavuos, the holiday of Shavuos, which is the 6th of Sivan is when we celebrate it. That's the giving of the Torah. But the receiving of the Torah, that took place really in its fullness on Yom Kippur with the second tablets. And that's why Yom Kippur is Yom Kippur and it's a day of forgiveness. Okay. So you see, if you really want to be forgiven, 
there's this direct correlation between receiving the Torah and forgiveness. That's, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting in and of itself. But what this is going to do is going to set us off on a, on, a, on a question, and it's something that I've brought up in the past that fascinates me, which is something that didn't happen the first time. The first time, Moshe never got on terra firma, firm ground, with the tablets, because he smashed them before he was able to be on the ground with them, giving them to us, and for us to fully receive them. In other words, on Shavuos, we accepted the Torah, but the day of fully receiving the Torah didn't happen. That was supposed to be on the 17th day of Tammuz, but instead, the 17th day of Tammuz lives in infamy as the the anniversary of another occurrence, which is the worshipping of the golden calf. And because the golden calf happened that day, Moshe smashes the tablets and never gives them to us. Now, by the way, why did Moshe smash the tablets? And to tell you how great it was that Moshe smashed the tablets, by the way, the very last verse of the Torah, does anyone know the very last verse of the Torah? Like, how would you think the Torah would end? The Torah ends with this phrase, Le'ene kol Yisrael, that Moshe did wonders before the eyes of all of Israel. Well, Moshe did a lot of wonders. So let's look in the Rashi. What does Rashi say? Well, Rashi says, no, no, no. It's referring to one specific wonder that Moshe did in front of the eyes of all of Israel. And do you know what it is? Smashing the tablets. (laughs) Can you imagine? This is how the Torah ends. The Torah ends on the wondrousness of Moshe smashing the tablets before all of Israel. And it says, Rashi brings, that God loved that Moshe did it. Why? Why? Because Moshe saved the life of the Jewish people. And it's very much parallel to what we were talking about earlier, that we got exiled from the land before we could fulfill the first part of that verse, so that the second part of the verse wouldn't be fulfilled, that we wouldn't be destroyed, that we never fully lived um, in the land, so therefore the second part of the verse that we'd we'd be destroyed doesn't kick in. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew that the punishment for idol worship was very, very great. So what he did was he tore up the contract. That's what it means to smash the luchos. He tore up the contract so that we were in signatories to the contract And therefore, we weren't obligated in the downside of what it meant to be punished for idol worship under those circumstances. Is that clear? And it says, the Gemara says that that Moshe Rabbeinu did what's called a kalvachomer, which is, if this is true, how much more so is this true? So Moshe Rabbeinu knew the halacha, that someone who is an idol worshiper is not allowed to bring the Korban Pesach, the the special offering that we do on Passover. So Moshe reasons that if someone's an idol worshiper and they can't bring the Korban Pesach, how much more so if they're an idol worshiper can they not do the entirety of the Torah? In other words, 
if being an idol worshiper makes them ineligible for this specific mitzvah, it must make them ineligible for the entirety of everything else as well. And that logic was applauded by God. Okay. That's all well and good, but we didn't get to the <laughs> the exciting part yet. The exciting part is, what could that day have been if Moshe had come down from the mountain with the tablets, and that could have been the day that we received the tablets, that we received the Torah, not just were given the Torah, but received the Torah. That could have been that day. Now, Aaron, if you remember, Aaron says to the people who want to worship the golden calf, he says, and, and we read it as a delay tactic, which, we, which is not incorrect, by the way. But there was more to it than that. Aaron says, just wait. Tomorrow is going to be a holiday. And the deeper Torah commentators understood that there was a prophetic thing that Aaron was saying. That in fact, the 17th day of Tammuz, the day when Moshe was scheduled to be on terra firma, on firm ground, with the tablets, giving them to us, was supposed to be a holiday. But not just a holiday. It seems like that would have been like Mashiach that day. Okay, so how do we see it? Because that's, that's a very big claim, right? So let's, let's try to understand a little bit more fully. Well, look at it this way. When Moshe came down with the tablets the second time, those tablets, the second tablets, were not as holy as the first tablets. The first tablets were these miracle constructs. And I'll just tell you a couple of things about how miraculous those first tablets were, okay? They were made out of sapphire, which is stone, and yet it says that you could roll it up like a scroll. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> how could that be? They're made out of stone, and yet you could roll it up like a scroll. That's one miraculous thing about it. Another miraculous thing about those, those first tablets were that the letter, the final letter Samach and the final letter Mem, if you know how to write Hebrew, each of the letters was, was like, went completely through the tablets. So now a Samach is a circle, which means you have a little kind of donut hole, right? You have a little, you have a little piece of rock, which is right in the middle there. It should fall down, right? It was miraculously suspended. Same thing with the final mem. If the letters went through and through, there's a little circle of stone in the middle there that should fall down. Both of those miraculously were suspended. Interesting, right? And by the way, the commentators point out that these two letters, samach mem, is code for the evil inclination. In fact, a lot of people don't like to refer to the angel of evil, so they just refer to him as the Samach Mem. So isn't it interesting that within these two letters, a miracle occurred, meaning to say that the Torah itself suspends, stops evil. Do you hear? Okay. I'll tell you another miracle, which is that, again, the letters 
were written through and through. Each letter went completely through the tablets. So if you held it on the, on the proper side, it would read normally. And if you turned it over, it should read backwards. And yet, it read the proper way both sides. Whichever way you turned it, that's the way it read. It read the proper way. Another amazing miracle by the tablets. But I'll tell you something even else. Something else about the first tablets. The Beis HaLevi points out that the Torah Shabal Peh, the oral law, was also written on the first tablets. In other words, it wasn't just the commandments themselves. It was God's own explanation of the commandments, which also appeared on the first tablets, but not on the second tablets. Just, just the written Torah appeared in the same way that it appeared on the first tablets. It appeared in the second tablets, but without God's own explanation on the tablets themselves. So from this you see that the first, that the second tablets were not as holy as the first tablets. Okay, they were also holy. They were super holy. And in some ways you can argue they were more holy because those are the ones we have till this day. Okay. By the way, the rabbis teach a very interesting lesson, which is that, you know, if you have like a very happy occasion or something wonderful that happens to you, that you should be sneeous about it. You should be like modest and a little bit quiet about it. And one of the illustrations that they give on that is that the giving of the first tablets was this amazing public miraculous event filled with spiritual pyrotechnics. But you know what? The tablets got smashed at the end of that. Whereas the second tablets were given without any fanfare whatsoever, and those lasted. Just a, a life lesson there, interesting life lesson. Okay, but let's make the following, let's make the following uh, uh, logical deduction, which is, you see that there were so many miracles by the first tablets, and that's testimony of how holy they were. The second tablets, holy but less holy, okay? Now, if Moshe comes down on firm ground on Yom Kippur with those second tablets, which were less holy than the first tablets, and, and, and that day becomes Yom Kippur, the day that he comes down with the second tablets, and that day becomes the holiest day of the entire year, can you imagine what that holiday would have been if he had come down with the first tablets, whose holiness were beyond, 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 beyond? Does everyone hear that? If he came down with the second tablets, which were less holy, and that day becomes the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, can you imagine what that holiday would have been if he had come down with those tablets the first time? That would have been beyond, 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 beyond. And that's why there's this thought that that could have been the end of days. Okay, so let's go even further into it right now, okay? Because, you see, the Gomorrah says that when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, we were like Adam and Chava, like Adam and Eve, before they ate from the tree of knowledge. Now, I had a question for many, many years that I'm going to try to answer right now, okay? 
which is if we were like Adam and Eve before we ate from the tree of knowledge, if we got back to that level by accepting the Torah, why didn't Mashiach come then? It's a good question, no? I mean, what are we trying to do? What do we talk about doing all the time? Correcting the Eitz Hadas. That's the tree of knowledge. We want to get back to this idea of fixing eating from the tree of knowledge. So, so if we got to that place of being before we ate from the tree of knowledge, that should, that should have been the ultimate fixing. That's my question. All right? But now we're going to learn something very, very deep. You see... When we were created, we were created to do something. Before we ate from the tree of knowledge and we were put into the Garden of Eden, the point was that we still had to do something. God wanted something from us. And I think that that's a point that most people don't know about. Most people think about the Garden of Eden as this cosmic spa. And we were in this amazing, you know, situation, and then we blew it. But that's not, it's, that's missing the central point. You see, the Garden of Eden wasn't perfect. And the world wasn't finished yet. And the greatest proof is what Reb Shlomo says which is if the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? (laughs) Right? If the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? And the answer is, is that God didn't finish the world. God created us to be partners with him in terms of finishing the world. And so our presence in the Garden of Eden as counterintuitive as it sounds, was actually a work session. Because then we were going to join with God by doing the commandments and finishing the world. Now you say, the commandments? What do you mean the commandments? The Torah wasn't given yet. So the commentators say, no, no, no. Adam and Eve had all 613 commandments. But they were contained within two commands. And it's a very innocent phrase in the Torah. And if you aren't aware of the commentaries of it, you'll read over it very, very quickly. Which is that we were commanded to work and guard the garden. To work and guard the garden. And within that command are all 613 commandments. You see, because the Torah itself can be divided, the mitzvot in the Torah can be divided into two categories. One category is what's called mitzvahs aseh, which are positive commandments. And the other category is mitzvahs lotase, which are negative commandments, meaning the thou shalt nots, if you will. But just to put it maybe into more conversational terms, each human being has twin engines, all right, to our life force. We have twin engines to our life force. One is to be active in the world, and the other is to restrain ourselves in certain circumstances from acting in the world. In other words, it's we, we 
manifests the fullness of our life force in two ways, by doing and by not doing. And interestingly, I heard in the name of the Ari that ever since we ate from the tree of knowledge, we damaged our intuition on when to do and when not to do. Isn't that interesting? Like, you could cry a million tears, actually. That, that sort of like, we put a computer virus into like our, our, our main, our, 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 our main kind of like engine. Like, we don't know when, when should I say that? Should I not say that? Should I do that? Should I not do that? So it all goes back to the Garden of Eden, you know? Everything goes back to the, to the Garden of Eden. It's, it's amazing. You know, it really, I, I really hope that, that one day, either through these talks or, or maybe through some writing, that I'll be able to collect all these Torahs about the Garden of Eden and that people should understand the profundity about human nature, about all the life lessons that it teaches us because people don't understand it. People, people don't understand that. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's the key to understanding the human condition, basically. Anyway, so moving forward. So what did we do? What was our job? What was our job to do? How were we going to finish the world? Well, we, we just said we've got two aspects. We've got do and don't do. So what was the don't do? The don't do is don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Okay, we did that. <laughs> we did the don't do. <laughs> and we didn't do the do. <laughs> what was the do? The do is to eat from the tree of life. So we didn't eat from the tree of life and we ate from the tree of knowledge. And we live with the consequences of that to this day. Because can I, can I tell you what happened? We became intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally arrested till this day because we ate from the tree of knowledge and not from the tree of life first. By the way, we were going to be able to eat from the tree of knowledge later. That was, that was part of the plan. But first we had to eat from the tree of life. Now let me explain it to you in practical terms why that was so terrible and why that affects us to this day. So, so you see, there's this thing that, that uh, everybody knows about, which is that children think that they know more than their parents. Okay, that's just kind of, that's just a thing. So the example that I always like to use is, is the following. A child says, if one candy bar is good, 30 candy bars will be 30 times as good. And the, the parent goes, no, 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 no. 30 candy bars will make you sick. It'll give you a stomachache. And the child goes, let me say it one more time, a little bit more slowly this time, <laughs> so, that, so that you get it, okay? If one candy bar is good, 30 times that will be 30 times better. It's, 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 it, it, Mom, Dad, this is math. This is just this is simple math. You should be able to follow this. So what do we know that the child doesn't know? We have something better than knowledge. We have experience. 
We have life experience. We've seen actually what works and what doesn't work, and we can advise the child, okay? But you see, what's in this instance, the child, in the candy bar um, analogy, the child ate from the tree of knowledge but didn't eat from the tree of life. You see? And that's all of us to this day. Because to this day, we haven't eaten from the tree of life. The closest we can come to eating from the tree of life, you know what it is? To study Torah. Because the Torah is called Eitz Chaim. Eitz Chaim He. The tree of life. The closest we can get to eating from the tree of life is to learn Torah. But even then, it's not, I mean, it's close, but it's not really the fullness, fullness of of, of eating it. And, And it's not the same if we had eaten it first before the tree of knowledge. See, imagine what humanity would be if we had eaten from the tree of life first and then eaten from the tree of knowledge. We would have been able to contextualize everything that we learned and we would have been like super brains, super souls. Do you you understand? This is what we were supposed to do. This was the transformation that was supposed to happen. This was going to be the finishing up of creation which was going to be the perfection of the human being. And this was going to usher in that Shabbos, which would have been the first Shabbos and Yom Shakulo Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. Okay? That's, that's, That's what we were on the precipice of, but it didn't happen. So again, we were supposed to do and not do. We did the wrong thing, and we didn't do the right thing. We ate from the tree of knowledge, which was what we weren't supposed to do, and we didn't eat from the tree of life, which was what we were supposed to do. Okay, good. Now, let's return back to our question. My question was, the Gomorrah says that when we accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai, that we were like Adam and Chava before we ate from the tree of knowledge. Okay? But that's not enough. In other words, that just gets us back to square zero when we were created. But we still have to do and we still have to not do in order to fully perfect ourselves and bring about the finishing of creation. Okay, so we got so close. You know why? Because what what were we supposed to do? We were supposed to accept the Torah. We said, we said, God, you don't even tell us what's in it. It comes from you. We know it's good. We accept it. We did the do. We did the do. What was the not do? Don't worship the golden calf. <laughs> oh, we got so close. We got so close. We got so close. Very cool. I actually do that. Like in the ocean, I like doing that, but... I'm going to listen to the very end of this class. Yeah. Uh. So just a reminder, everyone, to be on mute, please. So um, so we got so close. We got so close. But, but we didn't get there yet. And now you can see how everything is going to fall together. Because what, what was the day that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to come down with the tablets and complete not just the giving of the Torah, but the receiving of the Torah. 
What day was that? It was the day that we worshiped the golden calf. It was the day that we did the don't do. That was the day that we were supposed to finish and perfect everything. Do you see how they go together perfectly? That would have been the completion. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen yet. It didn't happen yet. So let's say it did happen. So then you say, well, then does that mean we never would have had Yom Kippur? But we wouldn't have needed Yom Kippur. You know, Yom Kippur goes by another name in the Torah, the Shabbos of Shabbases. Basically, Yom Kippur is super Shabbos. And what's the Messianic period called? The day that will be all Shabbos, which is basically what? Super Shabbos. <laughs> so we, we would have had the holiness of Yom Kippur, but it would have been Yom Kippur every day. It would have been that, that holiness every single day. Okay. So, so is that the end? Is that the end of this story? And it's just like, oh, wow, that you just took me for a really long walk to a cliff. Thank you. Thank you for that, escorting me to the cliff. Um, no, no, because there's a happy ending. There is a happy ending to be sure. But now, now we have to write our own luchos. Now we have to write our own tablets. And let me tell you what I mean by that not make up our own truth, God forbid, right? The truth exists. That's, by the way, that's, you know, that, that, that in itself is not so obvious. We, we say that there, we say Torah emet, which means that there is truth. You know, a lot of people are just trying to sit in their chair and, you know, try to figure out what, what is truth, you know, how, and, and then they kind of come up with, their own tenets and everything like that. But, but there is an objective truth to the world. And, and we say that that is the Torah and those are the mitzvah. So, so that in itself is maybe for some people a very challenging idea. But if you think about it, it's a very intuitive idea because the universe itself is very exact, right? From the orbiting of planets to the amount of DNA that we have to the percentage of oxygen and nitrogen in the world to subatomic particles. Every aspect of creation is exceedingly exact. So why shouldn't truth be exact? Like it's all, there is an objective reality, which is pre incredibly precise. The, the same is the case with, with, with truth. And, and, and again, that's, that's the, the greatness of the Torah. Okay, so, so now listen to this. We'll go a little bit deeper, which is that when we receive the Torah, death left the world. Because when did death enter the world? It entered the world when we ate from the tree of knowledge. But now when we got to receiving the Torah, we rose to a level before death entered into the world. So we, we achieve this like amazing like level of immortality. And, and, how do, and then when we worship the golden calf, we became mortal again. So Rav Frimer walks us through the metaphysics of that, and it's, it's fascinating. It's so cool. 
And it has everything to do with writing the letters onto the tablets. So now listen to this. There is a, a very simple um, uh, relationship between the writing and the tablets themselves. And the writing is like your soul, and the tablets are like your body. Okay? The writing is like your soul, and the tablets themselves, the stone tablets, are like your body. All right, let's see how this answers the question of why when we accepted the Torah, we became immortal, and when we worshiped the golden calf, we became mortal again. How does it work? And how does it point us toward the future where we can fix everything? Well, you see, what's the difference between writing and engraving? So when you write something, it's ink on paper. It's two things. It's the ink and it's the paper. They're not inherently one thing yet. Okay? When you carve letters into stone, the stone and the letters become one object. They're completely integrated. They become one in the same. The letters and the stone are one in the same. When God gave us the Torah and we accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai, what happened was, remember, the letters are our soul and the tablets are our body. What happened was, our soul became completely integrated into our body. And our body became completely integrated into our soul. Just like when you engrave letters in stone, the letters and the object are the same entity. And that's immortality. When the soul and the body are completely integrated, that's immortality. And by the way, that's the state that we're going to achieve again after the resurrection of the dead. Okay, we're going to be in that place again. Okay. Now, the Gemara says something very amazing, if, you, if you've never heard this before, which is right before Moshe smashed the tablets, the letters flew from the stone. They flew up into the air and they left the stone. Isn't that interesting? So what does that mean in terms of us? When we worship the golden calf, our bodies and our souls disengaged and they returned back to the way they were before. That complete level of integration left us and our bodies and our souls, just like the letters and the tablets themselves became separate entities, our bodies and our souls returned to being separate entities albeit neighbors, once again, and we became mortal again. So now what's the fixing? What's the fixing? And we'll, we'll wrap it up on this, okay? The fixing is that it says that the Torah never stopped being given. The Kol Torah that light that went out on Mount Sinai has never stopped to this day. 
which means we have the ability to take the light of the Torah and to inscribe it on our hearts again, once again. And that that's an ongoing process. And the more that we inscribe the Torah onto our hearts, the more we ourselves become that completely body-soul integrated being once again. And Rav Firmers goes one step further. He says that it's not just learning, it's not just learning for the sake of heaven, but it's making chidushim, chidushay Torah. Chidushay Torah are new concepts in Torah. Now, you have to be mindful of the parameters behind new concepts in Torah. It says that we can't add to the mitzvahs and we can't subtract from the mitzvahs. Okay, so that's, that's important. You can't decide that, you know what? You know what one of the greatest flowers in the world is? Is like jasmine. When I do sukkahs from now on, I'm going to take the four species and I'm adding jasmine. Just because it smells great and it's a beautification for the mitzvah, not allowed. <laughs> that would be called adding to the mitzvahs. Okay? You know, you say, like a lot of people have a, 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 a question. Why do we light the menorah for eight nights? Because we had enough oil for one night, and then the other seven nights were miraculous. Well, that means one night was normal, seven nights were miraculous, we're celebrating the miracle. Our menorah should have seven branches, not eight, because one of them was ordinary. <laughs> so from now on, my menorah is going to have seven branches. That would be subtracting from the mitzvahs. <laughs> So, so you can come up with new ideas in Torah, but nothing that contradicts halacha. If your new idea contradicts Jewish law, then nice try, you know, but, but, but that, that we would consider not, not a Torah thought, okay? So, if a person can come up with new thoughts in Torah, because the Torah is infinite and the light is coming down, it's coming down. Rav Frimer says that if you want to supercharge the engraving of the letters onto your heart and the integration of your soul into your body, that what supercharges that light is when you can bring down an even higher light, which is new concepts and new revelations of the infinity of the Torah. But nothing that contradicts Jewish law. Right? Because then the light is already a little bit off. You want that pure laser light. Okay. Let's just review quickly. A lot of ideas here. Let's just review quickly. Number one, every letter, every word in the Torah is so precise, even the number is referring to like historical events that are going to happen earlier. And sometimes we're on the other side of the tapestry. Sometimes everything looks complicated, but the day is coming when we're going to see every stitch was in the right time, in the right measure, exactly as we needed it. Not only that, but this is the beginning of the sprint toward Rosh Hashanah. Right? And why are we starting now? It's so early. It's not even Elul. I thought Elul was early. Now you're telling me the 15th of Av? What are you doing to me? No, 
if someone loves if someone loves the one the only one they're running as quickly as they can as soon as they can for that embrace and what's the next thing just understand that we're we're partners with God to finish the world and to do that requires us to perfect our tw- the twin engines of our soul which is doing and refraining and we can see how we 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 almost got there by Mount Sinai, but, but we didn't quite get there yet. But we're still in the process of finishing the writing on our souls. We're still in that process. And, and, and we can access still the tree of life. And that's Torah itself. So God willing, all of us just took a, a bite out of the fruit of the tree of life today through this Torah study. And, and we should continue just to feed on it and feed on it till God's light fills the entire world. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.